case is submitted. Your argument next in number 895011, Larry Joe Powers versus Ohio. Mr. Lane, you may begin whenever you're ready. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, in 1986, this Court rendered its decision in the case of Batson v. Kentucky, a case involving a black defendant who objected to the state's use of peremptory challenges to exclude blacks from his jury. Batson reaffirmed the principle that the Equal Protection Clause prohibits the removal of black prospective jurors on the basis of their race. The issue in today's case is whether a white defendant has standing under Batson to object to the state's use of peremptory challenges to exclude blacks from his jury. Approximately one year after this Court's decision in Batson, Larry Joe Powers stood trial on two counts of aggravated murder with death penalty specifications and one count of attempted aggravated murder. During the jury selection process, the state used ten peremptory challenges. Seven of those challenges were used to exclude blacks from the jury. The defense objected to these peremptory challenges and pointed out to the Court that what the state was trying to do was to remove all the blacks from the jury. Neither the state nor the Court refuted defense counsel's statements. The Court overruled the objections, and the Court failed to compel the state to put its reasons on the record, even though defense counsel had requested such a requirement. Mr. Powers was ultimately found guilty, and he was sentenced to 53 years to life in the Ohio penal system where he is today. Mr. Powers appealed his conviction to the Franklin County, Ohio Court of Appeals. In that appeal, he argued that both his rights and the rights of those excluded jurors had been denied under this Court's decision in Batson by the state's actions and by the Court's actions. The Court of Appeals rejected this claim and affirmed Mr. Powers' conviction, finding that Mr. Powers could not make a Batson claim because he was not the same race as those jurors. Mr. Powers then raised the same issue in the Ohio Supreme Court. That Court denied him discretionary review, finding that no substantial constitutional question existed in this case. For well over 100 years, this Court has steadfastly prohibited racial discrimination in the criminal justice system. The Batson decision stands on three important values, values that are important to all criminal defendants regardless of their race. Among these values that the Court has recognized is the value that a democratic society cannot survive unless the people in that society have the faith and the confidence in the integrity of the criminal justice system. Racial discrimination erodes that faith and confidence. On that basis, anybody would have the right to challenge it then. You wouldn't even have to be the defendant. I guess everybody has standing on that theory, right? Your Honor, the... Any citizen. There are real impediments to someone else coming in and making that challenge. Now, another citizen could file an action under 1983. They could bring a civil action as the 
plaintiffs did in Carter versus Green County Commissioners, or there is the federal statute. But what we're talking about here is yeah. Mr. Powers standing as I, a criminal defendant. You, you, you think a member of the public at large, not a juror who's been excluded, but a member of the public at large would have standing to challenge this? Under the criminal statute, if someone was a witness to it, they probably could file a complaint against the prosecutor or the guilty party for a violation of that criminal statute. And this court has also recognized, as in the, the Carter case, that aggrieved parties could file civil action before. So the problem, Your Honor, is that we're talking about peremptory challenges. All right. Well, I, I think you've heard the first ground that you mentioned, if it is a ground for giving standing to your client, is also a ground for giving standing to everybody. And you, and you acknowledge to, that. You, you say everybody would have standing, and they might not sue, but they'd have They would standing. have to meet the requirements that this Court has set down in Singleton v. Wolf and other cases on standing, showing an injury in effect, uh, showing a substantial relationship, so forth. They would have to show those standing requirements, Your Honor. Okay, so you, you don't consider the deprivation of that interest in, in, in having a... Uh, a, a, a the whole society's interest in, in having regular procedures, you don't consider that to be injury in fact? The problem is, Your Honor, is that we're talking about a situation that, that is not a, a, a problem that arises before the trial. It arises during the trial. It would be very difficult for a party to say that in the upcoming trial that this prosecutor is going to use his peremptory challenges in a racially discriminatory manner. Sometimes the, the, the lawsuit would have to precede the injury. There may be a problem there. This court has recognized in prior decisions that a criminal defendant is in the best position to vindicate the rights of the community, the excluded jurors, and himself. This court has recognized that a reversal of conviction is generally the best vehicle by way this racial discrimination can be prohibited and vindicated. What are, what are the second and third interests you were going to mention, which I presume one of which does contain the injury in fact? Yes, Your Honor. The defendant has suffered an injury in fact, the, and the jurors have an interest in seeing that their rights have been protected. The jurors have an equal protection right to participate in the criminal justice system, and where they, where they are denied that right, their equal protection rights have been violated. The harm to the community is the same regardless of the defendant's race. Whether a defendant is white or black, if he is denied the opportunity to sit before a jury that has been chosen in the absence of racial discrimination, the community is still going to see this as a very serious problem with the criminal justice system. This court cannot tolerate racial discrimination simply because the defendant is not of the same race as the jurors. As Justice Kennedy stated in his opinion in Holland v. Illinois, citizens cannot be denied the duty and honor of jury service on the basis of race just because the defendant is not of the same race as those jurors. Batson is based on the need to preserve public confidence in the criminal justice system. That need is the same regardless of the defendant's race. The need is the same regardless of the juror's race. In the, in the, the case in, of Strada v. West Virginia, this court recognized that racial discrimination in the criminal justice system creates and further stimulates the kind of racial, racial discrimination, race prejudice, that forecloses people from participating in the justice system. Is, is the showing that's required to elicit an explanation the same when 
a black venerey person is is excluded as when a white venerey person is excluded? Assume that the defendant is white. Your Honor, if the defendant can make a prima facie showing that that juror has been excluded. How do you do that? Suppose you have a a prosecutor in a majority white city in a case where the defendant's white and he challenges five white venereal persons. That would have to be decided on a case-by-case basis, Your Honor, and the defendant would have the burden of showing what. Suppose suppose the opposing counsel stands up and says, I want an explanation, and I think there's, there's racial motivation here. It would be up to the judge at that point to decide whether a prima facie case has been. How does he decide that? Well, it would be the factors of the, he could look at the questions that the, the prosecutor. It's a peremptory challenge. You're just excused. I'm sorry? I excuse Mr. Jones. This Court recognized that a court in determining that prima facie case must look at the pattern of questioning, can look at the type of questioning. It could be the prosecutor's attitude in a specific case. It could be the issues in the case. There are a lot of issues. The fact that the race of the defendant and the race of the juror is the same or is different, those aren't relevant? This Court has recognized that where the juror and the defendant are of the same race, that the discrimination may be more obvious, but it is not the only question to be determined. What's your position on why a defendant who is the same race as the excluded juror, why does he have standing to raise that issue at all, even though he is of the same race? Every defendant should have standing, Your Honor, regardless of the race of the defendant. Why does any of them have standing? Because there is clearly — You think must he prove some obvious injury to himself? In order to have standing, there has to be an injury in fact. To him? To him, Your Honor. What is it? The injury in this case is that Mr. Powers, just as Mr. Batson, was denied a jury that meets 14th Amendment requirements. A jury stands to protect a defendant from the oppressive and arbitrary powers of government. The jury protects the defendant from — protects his civil liberties. And wherever racial discrimination arises in the selection of that jury, that jury does not meet the definition of the 14th Amendment. You think that sounds like a Sixth Amendment claim? No, Your Honor. It is not a Sixth Amendment claim. What is it? What is it? It's an equal protection claim, Your Honor. Every defendant — You mean — who is — what other person is treated better? In this situation, a black defendant would receive better treatment because he is granted standing. I'm talking about a black defendant challenging the exclusion of a black. What is his injury in fact? He has been denied a jury that has been chosen in the absence of racial discrimination. And you say it's an equal protection challenge? Yes, Your Honor. As compared to whom is he being treated worse? The defendant — or in that case, the black defendant, the black juror, he has been denied this jury that protects him, where this jury should come between him and the powers of the government, and where race enters into that selection of the jury. So you give the same answer when you say — when you describe the standing of the white defendant — I mean, the white plaintiff, or the white — Criminal defendant, Your Honor. The white defendant challenging the exclusion of a black. He's been denied the right kind of a jury. Yes, Your Honor. Whereas some other people get it. Yes, Your Honor. Mr. Powers has the same standing as Mr. Batson. And you would say the same thing even though there's no claim that the jury was not impartial? 
Your Honor, the, there is a lack of impartiality here in that in order for a jury to meet 14th Amendment impartiality standards, there must not be any racial discrimination in the selection of that jury. Well, aren't, aren't you confusing uh, impartiality with equal protection there? I mean, we have not, we've talked about jury impartiality in some cases quite independently of equal protection. Your Honor, the equal protection violation that is most succinct to Mr. Powers is that he has been, he has been treated differently than a similarly situated black defendant. And there's an equal protection violation there. Yes, also, does that necessarily go to the impartiality of the jury? Your Honor, this Court has recognized that when racial discrimination enters in the jury selection process, that that jury does not meet the impartiality test of the 14th Amendment and a criminal conviction should be reversed. Mr. Lane, why do you say he's being treated differently from a similarly situated black defendant? I mean, I guess it depends on what you mean by similarly situated. Their similar situation is that they are criminal defendants. Yes, and, but, but the, and the black defendant can, can challenge uh, the prosecutor's decision to strike all blacks from the jury, and the white defendant presumably can challenge the prosecutor's decision to strike all whites from the jury. It seems to me that's, that's very even-handed. Uh, well, why, is, well, why is that not equal somehow? Under the decision of the Franklin County, Ohio Court of Appeals, the, black, the white defendant does not have that same opportunity. Larry Powers was denied the opportunity to vindicate his rights, the rights of those jurors, and the rights to challenge of white defendants. No, I'm, I'm sorry. Maybe I misunderstood your question. No, I, I'm saying why is the denial of equal, oper- of, of equal protection if the black defendant can challenge the prosecutor's intentional striking of, of all black jury, jury persons and the white defendant can challenge the prosecutor's intentionally striking white ones? Isn't that even-handed? Your Honor, the, the problem with that is that the defendant does not have the opportunity to object to the striking of black defendants, the black jurors. Well, neither does, neither does the black have the opportunity to uh, object to the striking of white jurors. They should, Your Honor. I mean, there may be, well, maybe they should, but not because of equal protection. You've got to give me some other reason. I mean, as far as the even-handedness goes, it's quite even-handed. It's not even-handed when you draw lines on racial criteria, Your Honor. When you say a white defendant can do something that a black defendant cannot, and in another case, a black defendant can do something that a white defendant cannot, that's drawing lines on racial criteria. That's the type of racial discrimination that the 14th Amendment was designed to eliminate. And when a defendant is made to stand trial before a jury in the selection of which which there has been racial discrimination, that defendant, regardless of his or her race, has been denied equal protection. Do you propose the same rule with, with respect to gender? Your Honor, I know that is your case, but yes. uh, we have to be concerned with the consequences of what we write right. and the reason. Your Honor, if this court has determined that gender is a suspect class for equal protection analysis, then I would say it would be proper to do so. But in this case, on the facts of this case, we are dealing with racial discrimination. Your opponent asked us to decide uh, whether the def- whether uh, uh, it's unlawful, whether it's similarly unlawful for the uh, defense to uh, uh, to strike on the basis of race. We, uh, I'm not sure we have to decide that. In fact, I can't imagine why we do. But uh, uh, in in deciding how to resolve this case, uh, certainly we, we we must have that prospect before us, right? Yes, Your Honor. And that it's issue is not that, uh, before the court. Yeah. 
So it, it's really quite possible to have all defendants precluded from striking uh, people of, uh, of the opposite race or the same race or, or women or men or what other categories, uh, uh, a criminal defendant who wanted to, st- uh, to strike all, uh, I don't know, fundamentalists or uh, whatever he thought might give him a, an edge in the decision. That, that would be... That would be bad if we had to the, extend that. The issue proffered by the state in the second part of their brief is not properly before this court. You know. Yeah, but, but how, well, how we come out on this case uh, plays out quite differently depending on, on how far we're prepared to go in, in extending the same right to the defense, isn't it? Or the same obligation to the defense. It may have an impact, Your Honor, but the, the fact remains that there are a lot of different issues involved in trying to extend the Batson principles to a defendant's use of peremptory challenges. A lot of issues in addition to racial discrimination. When a juror has been excluded from a criminal defense jury on the basis of his or her race, that juror has been denied their equal protection rights. They have been denied the right to participate in the criminal justice system. And that you think has the right to press their claims as well as his own, right? Absolutely, Your Honor, because to bar that claim to the defendant would be to say that this court is going to condone or tolerate racial discrimination simply because the defendant is not of the same race as the jurors. Of course, there's a criminal statute on the books, 18 U.S.C. 243. Yes, Your Honor. Uh, I'm sure that's not often invoked, but it's quite specific on this point. Your Honor, it, it is not very often invoked, and I, I believe there's a footnote in, in Peters that indicates that there have been very, very few convictions under that and very, very, very... But if there's, if there's a criminal sanction, it seems to me that maybe that would suffice, and we don't need this, the, the civil cause of action. Your Honor, that statute has been on the books for over 100 years, and as this Court has noted, racial discrimination has continued despite the existence of that statute. The problem with that statute is you may take a prosecutor or other guilty party and fine that person $5,000, but the community's faith and confidence in the system is still going to be harmed. The jurors are still denied their equal protection rights, and the defendant is still convicted of of criminal offenses. The The criminal statute, which you could impose on a person guilty of racial discrimination, does not address the harm suffered by all the parties. May I just go back a second? In the, in the equal protection claim, uh, is it clear to you that the defendant is a member of the class that's being discriminated against? I thought you defined the class as uh, black citizens who want to serve as jurors. Yes, Your Honor. The, the, the defendant class, isn't a member of that class. Exactly. And there's, and there's uh, that recognition is made in the Batson decision that the class, the defendant is not of the class of the jurors. He has no interest in sitting on a jury. So he says third party standing, whether he's black or white, and whether the, discrimin- whether the challenges are of black jurors or white jurors. Absolutely, Your Honor. He has standing. Well, but, but you, whether he's raising, uh, if he's, even if he's raising the, the right, the, claiming the rights of the jury, the excluded jurors, he has to have an injury in fact himself. Yes, Your Honor. And that's, uh, and the most you can say to that is that he's just been, that he's entitled to a jury that's selected without discrimination. It's a very important injury, sir. It's a very severe injury. Yeah, well, all you can say, though, is the same thing. His injury is not having that kind of a jury. 
This Court has recognized that, Your Honor, in, uh, where racial discrimination has existed in the selection you, of... Yes, you agree that all you can say is to repeat yourself, that he's entitled to that kind of a jury, and if he doesn't get it, that's, uh, he's been injured. This Court has recognized that, Your Honor, in Vasquez versus Hillary, Rose versus Mitchell, and a lot of other cases, this Court has determined that when racial discrimination exists in a selection of a jury, a criminal defendant's conviction should be reversed. Even in the cases where the, the racial discrimination occurred at the grand jury stage and there was no allegation of discrimination in the pettit jury. That's because he was there, he had an injury, and the, the, the injury was that he had been deprived of an impartial jury or of the opportunity to have an impartial jury that was granted by the Sixth Amendment. That is an injury. The impartiality springs from the racial discrimination, Your Honor. The, the jury that is chosen along racial criteria contravenes the very idea of a jury. I understand that, but this is not a Sixth Amendment claim you're pressing here. It's, uh, That's true, Your Honor. It's not a Sixth Amendment claim. It's an equal protection claim because everyone, regardless of their race, has a right to that same jury a right to a jury that has been chosen in the absence of racial discrimination. So the, uh, there are just lots of cases that say if Negroes are kept out of the jury of Anairi, the defendant has got a good claim. If racial discrimination exists, Your Honor, that defendant has been harmed. He has suffered the injury in fact that is required. But let's assume there's a federal statute that, that, that says, uh, you know, all, all, all jury uh, have to... Uh, uh, have to arrive at the courthouse at uh, nine o'clock, and the jury doesn't. Uh, the jury in this particular case doesn't arrive at nine o'clock, and, and you move for dismissal of the case against your client because he's entitled to a jury that arrives at the courthouse at nine o'clock. Do you think that, that 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 motion should be granted? I don't see wouldn't the analogy there with racial discrimination. Well, wouldn't this the judge insist? How did the jury not getting there at nine o'clock hurt your client? doesn't have that same imprimatur of racial discrimination and impartiality. And, and well, I agree it's nastier, but how does it hurt your client? I mean, that's the point. It isn't, it isn't whether it's good or bad or nasty. We're, we all agree it's terrible. But how did it hurt your client? That he did not have a jury because the jurors arrived late? I, I, maybe I misunderstand your question, Your Honor. I, uh, in, in this case, it, it may well have been bad to discriminate. But if that discrimination didn't hurt your client in any way, how, how does he have standing? Mr. It's the Pons same thing with the jury arriving at 9 o'clock. They, they broke the law. But, but why does it hurt your client? The jury must be chosen in the absence of racial criteria. This court has set forth that standard. I don't, I'm a, I don't see the, the analogy between a jury arriving late and invidious racial discrimination. This court has held that racial discrimination in the selection of a jury makes that jury inadequate for 14th Amendment requirements. That defendant has been denied the jury that the 14th Amendment requires. And the only way that that type of discrimination is going to be effectively answered is if the criminal defendant can object to it and raise it on appeal. Mr. Powers, um, to, to satisfy you, it seemed to me that uh, if you say that uh, his injury, in fact, is proved by having Negroes excluded from his jury, uh, I would think you would say that, uh, that the only Negroes who may be excluded from the jury are those who may be challenged for cause. 
No, Your Honor, because the peremptory challenge is not the same as a challenge for cause, and the injury well, fact... That, but I would think you would argue that peremptory challenges certainly can't d- do away with a defendant's right to have the kind of a jury he's entitled to, can they? No, Your Honor, they can't. Peremptory challenges cannot be used in a manner to... Uh, well, I know, but you don't, you don't think they have to be... Uh, the peremptory challenge of a Negro has to be justified by a cause, by technically that he's disqualified for cause. Prosecutor has to have non-racial reasons. They don't have to rise to the level of a challenge for cause, but they have to be non-racial reasons, and, and they cannot be based on, a, on the juror's race. Mm-hmm. You just say that I don't think that person is... Uh, I think that person is too well-educated to uh, sit on a case like this, or that uh, that person isn't well enough educated to sit on a case like this? A juror must be chosen on his personal qualifications. But you say that might be enough to overcome this entitlement to uh, a jury uh, that from which blacks aren't excluded? That a juror is not, equal, not educated enough? Your Honor, some lower courts have looked at those type of responses and found them wanting, found, them, found that they did not survive a Batson challenge, and that was a, would be, have to be a decision made well, by the trial court. I suppose there's a whole range of acceptable excuses for an peremptory challenge short of a challenge for cause. Yes, Your Honor. Well, just imagine what one of those, what they, what they are, uh, and then you would say that uh, that overcomes this entitlement to the kind of a jury you've been talking about. It does, does not overcome it, Your Honor, because this is a constitutional requirement. And what Batson says is if the prosecution can show to the court, can demonstrate to the court that the prosecution used non-racial reasons, then it may survive a Batson challenge. Non-racial reasons for what is the effect of peremptory strike? Yes, Your Honor. So Neutral reasons, reasons related to the juror's individual qualifications and Characteristics not related to race. Which could be all over the lot, I suppose. If, if lack of education was not found to be a proxy for race, that would be a perfectly good basis for a, a peremptory challenge, just as too much education might be a perfectly good basis for a peremptory challenge. The trial court has the burden, Your Honor. Well, I, looking I mean, at I, the... I'm asking you a question. Uh, if they were not found to be a proxy for race, would either lack of education or overeducation be an adequate basis for uh, uh, justifying a peremptory challenge? If the, re- the court, the trial court, or the reviewing courts no, I, felt I, that I, it was not a racial okay, reason, we, or a, we stipulate it's not a proxy okay. for race. Then it would probably survive the Batson challenge, Your Honor. Well, well you say probably. Well, why would it not automatically survive if it's not a proxy for race? Well, if we stipulate, as Your Honor said, then it probably, it would survive. It would survive. I will use the rest of my time for rebuttal. Thank you. Very well, Mr. Lane. Mr. Travis, we'll hear now from you. Mr. Chief Justice, may it please the Court. Uh, I think I would like to begin simply by addressing some of the questions raised by the Court. I, I would note to the Court that this is not a novel proposition. As Mr. Lane has argued and as this Court is fully aware the use of, not peremptory, but the use of uh, uh, removal of individuals from the criminal justice system based upon race uh, has been a violation of the Equal Protection Clause since at least Strother, 110 years. Just as that is not a novel proposition, I would suggest to this Court that Batson did nothing more than change the evidentiary standard which is required before uh, an accused may make a challenge 
against the uh, prosecution's use of peremptories. In this instance, I think it is significant, and this Court has found it significant, that much of the uh, argument presented by the uh, petitioner in this case, I think, sounds of a Sixth Amendment challenge. Uh, In this instance, we have um, a significantly different basis for the objections by the defendant if they're coming out of the Sixth versus the Fourteenth Amendment. The issue uh, which has been discussed with Mr. Lane, uh, the necessity of an injury in fact to the defendant. Historically, uh, and certainly nothing since Swain has changed this, historically this Court has consistently and continually stated in equal protection cases that in order to show a violation of the equal protection rights of the accused, he must show that he is a member of a distinct class and that members of his class have been excluded from the jury service. What do you do about Peters versus Kiff and the statutory provision? I would say simply to the court that if the statutory basis were brought, as the um, middle three opinions uh, of that case uh, suggested, that might be a basis for review or or, uh, handling of this matter. But it was not brought in this case, nor was a due process clause uh, claim brought. Uh, Mr. Justice Marshall's lead opinion suggests that the issue involved due process and equal protection, but as I read the opinion and as I believe the dissent points out, uh, it was resolved as far as the lead opinion goes on due process grounds, and for the uh, Center Three opinions uh, written by Justice White on statutory grounds. I I think that is significantly different. Uh, Certainly it is not what was brought by this petitioner. Just as in Holland, the petitioner brought a Sixth Amendment claim feeling he was foreclosed under Fourteenth Amendment grounds, and this court found that while he had standing, he had no remedy, and the concurring opinion of Justice Kennedy suggested the contrary would be true under Fourteenth Amendment grounds. Um, I I think if it came up under uh, the criminal prosecution of 243, perhaps if it came up under due process grounds, there might be a remedy. But it did not, and we are taking the position that under the traditional view that this Court has had for equal protection cases, there is no injury, in fact, to this defendant. Batson is the law, I suppose. Uh, and, uh, Certainly. What, uh, what do you understand to be the black defendant's standing to challenge the exclusion of, uh, of black jurors? What is his injury, in fact? My understanding, Your Honor, is that, and Batson relied so heavily on Castaneda against Parteda, Uh, that the injury is that members of his race, his cognizable group, have been excluded. And that is the injury. How does that hurt him? I'm sorry? How does that hurt him? We're talking about injury in fact. What is is the in fact injury? Well, of course, the the court has changed its position uh, since Swain, uh, where there was discussion of the fact that the peremptory challenge was validly used for certain purposes, uh, including... Yeah, but even Swain said that there would be standing to challenge it if, they, if you could show a, a, a pattern in practice. A pattern in practice, but to my knowledge, the court has never suggested that pattern in practice would have other than a correlation between the defendant and the removed jury. I agree, but I'm still wondering what your, your notion is of the injury in fact. Well, it's, um, it is simply that, and perhaps I'm in Mr. Lane's position on the other, the other side of the you don't, question. You don't agree that it's the, his, his injury, in fact, is the fact he's been deprived of a juror, jury that, that has been 
this defendant? That has not been chosen by, uh, on non-discriminatory grounds. Are we talking about this defendant, petitioner? Well, and the uh, and the Batson uh, defendant and the Swain defendant. I no, I don't. I believe that the injury, in fact, is that the defendant has been deprived of members of his own race on the jury. That is my understanding. But is is can't you say generally then that uh, that uh, the defendant has been deprived of uh, of a jury that hasn't been chosen on a non-discriminatory basis? But once again, I think that that sounds more of a Sixth Amendment fair cross-section claim, which this court has rejected, than it does a true equal protection claim. Mr. Travis, I'm curious to know how far your argument takes. Assume a case in which the final jury that's selected is proportional to the community, so there's no Sixth Amendment claim. But a white defendant uh, finds out that the prosecutor has deliberately, during the entire prior six months, including the selection of his own jury, followed a deliberate policy of taking as few blacks as he could get away with. They had marked them separately or they coded them in something. But he deliberately tried to keep the number of blacks who'd be get into the uh, veneers down. Would the uh, white defendant have any equal protection basis for challenging that practice? No, I would say not. You'd say not, yeah. That that would be our position. Quite simply, uh, we we take the position that the Equal Protection Clause does not grant standing to this particular defendant. But even if it were to, even if this court were to conclude that those cases, that historic line of cases which has uh, seemingly required uh, a correlation between the defendant and the excluded juror. Even if that series of cases were not um, what, it, what it appears to be and what it has appeared to be to so many lower courts, so many members or so many of the circuit courts, then I suggest, as Justice Kennedy um, raised in his concurring opinion in Holland, that in this case, on this record, it is not um, we don't have a sufficient record in which to determine whether there was a prima facie case advanced at all by the defendant. What the court indicated, and what Justice Kennedy, I should say, uh, indicated in his concurring opinion, is that in Batson, and I think this is, this is true from a reading of the case, there is an inference of racial discrimination when there is a showing that members of the defendant's race have been removed from the jury. At some point, we, we reach the point where you can draw an inference of racial discrimination. That inference is not present when you do not have a correlation between the excused juror and the class and the defendant's class. If that correlation is not present, and if, as this court has, has continually said, it is the burden of the defendant in this case, the movement, to establish from the record a prima facie case, then we suggest that the record is insufficient in this case, as we did in our brief in opposition, to determine that there was even a prima facie case made. For example, if we were to assume for purposes of argument that the venue venue of this case was in a, or were in a um, jurisdiction in which um, the uh, members of the black race were the overwhelming majority of the population, the mere fact that seven of ten peremptory challenges, and I'm now referring to this record, were used to excuse citizens who happened to be black would not have any meaning. It would be meaningless without a review and a correlation between the excusing of those jurors and the pool from which they came. But isn't it correct that in this case that that determination was just not made at all because the holding was there was no standing? 
I mean, you may be dead right, but isn't it still correct for us to send it back and let the, the trial court or the court of appeals make Well, Justice Stevens, that's an alternative. But what I'm suggesting to the court is that it is the movements, the defendants' burden to establish a record uh, to uh, prevail on appeal. At the time, I think it was clear that the court read the language in Batson, Castaneda, and so forth as requiring correlation between race. But nonetheless... It's our position, and we would urge to the court that it's the defendant's burden to establish a record to support a prima facie showing. That's right. And if it has not been done, if he has failed to establish that prima facie case, then there is no basis to reverse. He had if the there's no prima facie case, we should not reach the standing issue, which would normally be the anterior issue. If that's not inconsistent. Yeah. <laughs> Soon the uh, defendant challenges uh, the the uh, elimination of a particular juror or of all all the black jurors and the court asked the asked the uh, uh, lawyer what his reasons are and and determines that they really are racial reasons that he really did throwing the negroes off because they're negroes now would the would the negroes who had been excluded uh, have a case against him i think quite clearly they would they have they denied would, their equal protection yeah. rights. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. Mm -hmm. And uh, you don't think that uh, you don't think that the uh, that the white defendant uh, has standing to to press their rights. I don't believe so. If we were to say, as I think the defendant is suggesting in this case, petitioner is suggesting that because he is a defendant, he is in the best position to raise the rights of others because he is opposed to the state by virtue of the fact that he's a, he's a, the uh, opposite party. If that were the case, this court's uh, teachings on standing would have uh, would be totally cut adrift. Uh, I realize it's not a trial issue, but I'm thinking of Salvucci, for example. Um, there is a defendant who, with his, if not co-defendant, compatriot, is caught uh, basically connected with drugs that are in someone else's possession. And, of course, this court said quite clearly, no standing to object to the violation of that person's Fourth Amendment rights. I, I, I simply would argue to the court that merely because one is a defendant doesn't, should not grant one standing to object uh, and, and raise the right uh, violations of everyone involved. Well, but you don't take the position, I want to be sure, you don't take the position that an equal protection challenge must always be made by a member of the disfavored class. You have to be a member of the class discriminated against? You don't make that claim, do you? I'm sorry, if I understand you correctly, Justice Stevens. Well, take Our Craig against Boron, for example, which was a case involving discrimination against uh, females, as I remember. The bartender, or the owner of the bar, was able to raise the... If there is a sufficient correlation, and I recognize that that's petitioner's argument... If there's an independent injury other than the discrimination that justifies... And why isn't that true here when the defendant has a right to object to the selection of the jury panel? He just thinks if there had been a different panel, he might have had a better chance of acquittal. Why well, doesn't he I have standing? I may be giving a, a fairly weak response to you, Your Honor, but I, I think that's, that's true in any case where the defendant objects. Correct. He will object, and I don't mean this facetiously, to virtually anything that the opposing party wants to do. You have standing to make all sorts of objections. Well, and one of them is that you don't like that jury panel because it's unconstitutional. It was selected in an unconstitutional manner. Which what? brings me back to, I believe, the, the argument made earlier that I think that sounds more of a, of a Sixth Amendment fair cross-section analysis. Well, but that's on the merits. On the merits. Yeah, okay. Counsel, suppose there's a white and an Afro-American charged together. In, in what, Your Honor? I'm sorry? An Afro-American. You, know, you don't know what
and an Afro-American, two defendants. Charged. And the charge is made that Negroes have been systematically excluded from the jury. You can't try the Negro, right? But that same jury can try the white man. Is that your position? That is the position of one of the circuits that we cited below, an in-bank position. Is that that your position? We we take that position. You don't think that's Difficult as it is. You don't think that's Go ahead. Sorry. If, if, if I may, if I, if, and, and perhaps I, I, I misspoke myself or spoke too rapidly, I think when you have a correlation with co-defendants, you may have a very different position. Excuse me, I, I think I did misspoke, misspeak myself. I think you could have a situation where if you have co-defendants, you might, as some of the dissenters in that uh, lower court decision suggested, have the standing. It's not an easy position, I recognize, but that's the... Uh, uh, that, that was the uh, indication of the lower court. I have, Your Honor, I have great difficulty with this entire series of cases in dealing with the, the difficult problem of racial discrimination, but at the same time recognizing that merely because the defendant accuses one of ra- being racially discriminatory in a trial, that, that the defendant has suddenly reached a prima facie case. For example, in this case, whether he misunderstood Batson or not, the very first peremptory challenge was challenged, if you will, by the defendant, the petitioner, stating that you simply cannot peremptorily challenge a member of a minority without giving an explanation. Uh, that was the attack made. That's the difficulty I think all of us have had with dealing with Batson. I note that the court has uh, today accepted Hernandez um, on the question of whether or not removal of Latinos uh, in, a, in a case involving an interpreter, whether they would um, um, follow the um, uh, literal interpretation of the court, uh, court interpreter would be a valid reason to uh, object and it would be a non-racial reason. Um, it's been a very difficult time, I think, for the lower courts. I think this court uh, will be giving further guidance, but uh, yes, I have difficulty with that, if that answers your question. Uh, I do have difficulty. I would think you would have difficulty with Swain, too, even saying that, uh, that uh, you can challenge a prosecutor's uh, systematic and, uh, and uh, practice over a series of cases of excluding all Negroes. No, I, would, no, I don't have. I'm, I'm saying that I think courts have had difficulty in knowing what a prima facie case is in, in the context of Batson. Some certainly have said if there is a strike and the jury pool is of minimal number of Afro-Americans. If there's a minimal number in the jury pool, then that might be a prima facie case. Indeed, has been held a prima facie case. That's why I say that in this case, we don't have a sufficient record for this court to determine that, that issue. So you think they ought to wait until uh, you know whether uh, all of the jurors or all of the blacks are thrown off? No, I don't think that's the case, Your Honor. I would not argue that. I think that at some point, um, and, and I think this Court has, has made it clear that you examine the totality of circumstances, uh, I think I would concede uh, quite clearly that if you, uh, you look at uh, things such as the, the prosecutors or, or uh, in our position, defendants, use of the peremptory, 
um, immediately, for example, without any particular inquiry of the juror, uh, the type of the questioning that is done, so forth and so on. I think it is a totality of circumstances, but I also argue strenuously to the Court that in this case, it is the burden on the defendant to make that record, and he failed to do so. You don't think it would be a prima facie case as soon as a, a, a black juror is a, is a uh, he doesn't ask him any questions, he just challenges him? I think perhaps that would be the, uh, uh, something that if I were sitting as trial judge, I would, I would perhaps ask, yes. I think that very well could be. But as I say, I think you have to look at the totality of circumstances in determining whether such a prima facie case has been made. We would argue uh, that in this case, there is a significant difference, significant difference between the Sixth Amendment fair cross-section analysis and equal protection analysis. We've taken the position, as we indicate, that, uh, that in this case, uh, historically, the Court has always required a correlation which is not present. But even if this Court were to determine, as was perhaps suggested in some of the dissent and concurring opinions in Holland, that that correlation is not necessary, I would also argue to this Court very strenuously that there is a need for the defendant to make his record, and it was not done in this case. On that basis, unless there are further questions, I would conclude my argument. Thank you, Mr. Travis. Uh, Mr. Lane, you have three minutes remaining. Your Honor, I would respectfully submit to this Court that this record is actually stronger than the record made by Mr. Batson. We have in this case seven peremptory challenges out of ten used to exclude blacks from this jury. Defense counsel, without refutation by prosecutor or by the court, said that what the state is trying to do is to remove all blacks from this jury. Second of all, addressing the criminal statute, 18 U.S.C. 243, that statute has its foundation, its basis in the Equal Protection Clause. The statute was designed to implement those goals of the elimination of racial discrimination. Thirdly, this Was that relied on here in this case? It was not raised at the trial level, Your Honor. And again, I would submit to the Court that this Court has recognized in Rose v. Mitchell that that is an ineffective way of eliminating racial discrimination. Now, we did cite that statute in our analysis of Peters versus Kiff. We cited it in the lower courts and we talked about it here. But this court has recognized that that criminal statute will not eliminate racial discrimination. That statute has been on the books for well over 100 years and as this court has recognized, racial discrimination still continues. And I would submit to this court that unless every defendant, regardless of race, is granted standing to object to the prosecution's use of racial discrimination in selecting that defendant's jury, that racial discrimination will continue in this country. And that is a situation that, that this court cannot condone or tolerate. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Lane. The case is submitted. The Honorable Court is now adjourned until tomorrow at 10 o'clock. <laughs>